Hello and welcome to episode 43 of When Life Gives You Lemons, Go Vegan. I'm your host, Corinne Nijer, and in this podcast, if you don't know already, I share people's incredible stories of recovery after adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet and healing from diseases such as heart disease, type 2 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, and more. I also interview doctors and other experts in whole food, plant-based nutrition. And this week is no different. This week, I was really, really, really lucky to be connected with Sol Bautista. And Sol is a fourth-year medical student from in New Jersey. And I was so excited to hear a student talk about whole food, plant-based nutrition and lifestyle medicine. So he was in the military prior to studying medicine and... The way he thinks about nutrition and health is really, really powerful and exciting. And I absolutely enjoyed hearing him speak and hearing his commitment to helping transform or helping to educate and inform others about the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet. So I look forward to him sharing his thoughts and experience as a medical student and how much or little education he receives about nutrition within his medical degree over in the United States and the work that he's doing to help educate people about whole food plant-based nutrition now while he's currently studying. You can find more of Saul at njms underscore lifestyle medicine over at Instagram, which is a great account. If you're wanting to learn more about what he's doing, the work that Saul's doing in the schools and in education to help people with things like exercise, diet, mindfulness, all those kinds of things. It's a great Instagram page to follow. And you can also, super exciting, you can also see him in the new documentary coming out in 2019 called Code Blue. So keep your eye out for Code Blue coming out in 2019. Hello, Saul. Welcome to the show. Current, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, I'm so glad you can't, you've come on the show. I'm excited to talk to you today. So, so I've given you a little bit of an introduction already, but yeah, just tell us your story. Like, when did you get into medicine and the type of medicine that you do and yeah, anything about you that we, you think we should know? So currently I'm a fourth year medical student here uh, in the U.S., uh, in New Jersey. Uh, I didn't always know I was going to be a doctor. I actually didn't consider medicine until I joined the military. It was working with wounded soldiers overseas uh, during the Iraq and Afghanistan war that uh, I became interested in medicine. So uh, after returning from military service, uh, I enrolled in college, uh, finished college, and then got accepted into medical school. Once I got into medical school, I, I figured, all right, what do I do now? I'm going to be a doctor, but what type of doctor do I want to be? And um, nothing really fit. I, I looked at cardiology, surgery, gastroenterology, and nothing really seemed to sort of call. Um, but I always had this intuitive belief that there was a relationship between exercise and diet and disease that people who engage in those behaviors didn't get sick or they can get better. But as a scientist, I was, I, was a, I was a biology major in college. You know, we need to back everything with science. All our ideas, we need to prove it with science. And so uh, I started to dig into the literature and in, in, in scouring the literature, uh, there was one journal article that mentioned the words lifestyle medicine. And I said, hmm, what is that? And so I, when I Googled lifestyle medicine, I found the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which is the professional organization for all lifestyle medicine physicians. And in their mission statement, uh, lifestyle, medicine, lifestyle medicine physicians, they use lifestyle modification, which is the use of exercise assessment and prescription, nutrition tobacco cessation, sleep, and mental health, they modify those parameters in patients to help them either manage or reverse their chronic disease. 
And the reason they do that is because in reality, there was a 2004 uh, article in the Journal of the American Medical Association that said that the root cause of 80% of chronic disease is rooted in those five factors. Lack of physical activity, nutrition, tobacco cessation or tobacco consumption, poor sleep, and in social relationships and mental health. And, and I said, this is it. This is my calling. This is everything I believe. And so, uh, and then I just became on this path to let as many people know about the field of lifestyle medicine and let my colleagues know that this is the way we need to practice in order to reverse this chronic disease epidemic. And so here we are. Wow. So do you study with the American College of Lifestyle Medicine now or how does that work? Uh, so I'm a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. It is the professional body that really creates standards uh, for the field of lifestyle medicine and all its practitioners. Uh, I'm a medical student at Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School. Although I will say that my views do not necessarily reflect that of Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School. I will say that. <laughs> One thing I was wondering, how, how is it being in the system that still kind of overlooks or denies the link between lifestyle and disease? I'm going to be very honest with you. It's very difficult and, and and I don't necessarily blame uh, physicians or or sort of our mentors because it, they weren't trained this way um, at the time you know the world has changed a lot in between the time that they trained our, our food systems are completely different than the times in which they trained so I don't think that this relationship between diet and disease, exercise and disease was that apparent um, at the time. And it really wasn't a focus. I, I think at the time, you know, genetics was on the horizon. There was, they discovered that there was a relationship between genes and disease. And so they were very focused on that. Uh, I think that my generation has sort of seen the explosion of obesity and seen how much chronic disease is linked to obesity and what we're eating and, and physical activity. And so it's more apparent in my generation. Uh, and it's kind of hard to convey that uh, <laughs> to, uh, you know, and in my experience, I, I can tell you my experience. Uh, when I discovered the field of lifestyle medicine and I, with my own eyes, saw stories of patients who became better, patients with type 2 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, that through lifestyle were able to reverse their chronic diseases, I said to myself, well, why aren't we doing this? And I, I tried to tell uh, faculty members, I tried to tell uh, you know, my peers, uh, I, we created a lifestyle medicine interest group on campus. And, and I think at first, uh, a lot of people, there was a lot of skepticism just because, you know, it, people are always going to be skeptical of something they don't understand or something that's new or different. You know, I, I, I'm going to be honest, uh, it, it, it's been very hard. Uh, but um, what I can say is that over the course of the last three years, I've seen a dramatic shift. Uh, you know, more and more young medical students are understanding this relationship uh, between lifestyle and disease. And I mean, our executive board uh, in the Rutgers Lifestyle Medicine Group has grown from four people to 14. And our and general body, we usually have about 30 participants in meetings. So uh, the times are changing, uh, but it's been very difficult. Mm, yeah. Wow. I know that you're in the state. So do you link in with places like Lin, like the Loma Linda, what's it called, that place, that healthcare system, True North? Have you done any work with those yet in your studies? So I have not had the opportunity to travel uh, and work at Loma Linda. 
but I am connected with uh, a lot of the residents and faculty in Loma Linda. Uh, the, the beautiful thing about being stateside is that there are a lot of dynamic and wonderful people that are spreading this message of lifestyle medicine and its applications to patients and the success stories that they've had with patients. I mean, there's people at the University of Rochester, uh, USC Greenville uh, in South Carolina, which is actually the first medical school in the country to have integrated lifestyle medicine into their curriculum. So every medical student that attends that school uh, is learning about lifestyle medicine. They are living it themselves in that the school uh, actually does a physical fitness assessment to every trainee that comes in uh, in, a, in a health performance lab so that they live the principles that they pass on to their patients. Um, there, there's Tulane, uh, and that's in Louisiana, and they run something called culinary medicine where they take medical students into a teaching kitchen and teach them about plant-based nutrition and give them and teach them culinary skills that they then can go and teach their patients. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they're bringing patients into the kitchen. And so you have medical students side by side with people from the community. Um, and so there's many places around the country that are doing really wonderful, amazing things, but we need more. We do need more. That's so exciting. So you're going to be the start of that. You know, you could have this transfer your executive group to lifestyle medicine group out into like a whole doctor facility on your side of the town. <laughs> that is the dream. We are working on that. <laughs> uh, we, we actually have a, a lot of programs. Um, again, I, I, I'm very proud of the work of the group. Um, we finally were able to get the institution to approve uh, a community-based fitness program called Walk with the Doc, where uh, we founded a chapter here in New Jersey. It's based out of a, a cardiologist in Ohio. His name is Dr. David Sabger, who started this organization called Walk with the Doc, uh, in which he just took his patients walking. And we were inspired by that, and we decided to start a group here. Uh, with our low-income patients in Newark, New Jersey, and uh, it took it, it took about eight months, and we had to go through many hurdles with uh, the legal departments and insurance, and uh, but uh, it finally was approved, and we actually had our first walk about two months ago. Yay! Yeah, so I'm very happy. Uh, again, that was always something we dreamt of doing our first year, and and there were a lot of uh, administrative barriers to that. Um, but you know, if you keep working at something, you can do it. And so it happened. I'm very happy. That's amongst our, our many programs. We also have a culinary medicine course that we run for medical students and, and we host for undergraduate students in uni and high school students. Uh, we run intramural fitness classes for the medical students. Uh, and we're also doing lifestyle medicine uh, with high school students and teaching uh, young kids uh, between the ages of, of 12 to 18 uh, about lifestyle medicine so that then they can take these skills and apply them as they move into adulthood. So uh, I'm very excited and very happy and pleased with the work that the group is doing. Ah, oh, that's so exciting to hear. I think that like often we hear about that, you know, there's no real nutrition education in uh, medical degrees and all this kind of things. So it's really nice to hear a different view and like a view of what you can do, how you can make some progress and movement within that fixed kind of regimented medical degree kind of way of learning. Does that make sense what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, it makes absolute sense. And, you, and you're absolutely right um, in that as of right now, a medical doctor learns very little about nutrition. I, I can tell you what we're learning about nutrition. We're learning about zinc deficiencies, vitamin B1 deficiencies, scurvy, because 
everyone in the country is running around sick with scurvy. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> everyone right? on my street's got it at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, there is no connection about these processed foods and its interaction with the gut microbiome or a plant-based diet and how it impacts our gut microbiome and the metabolites produced by these by these bacteria and how that impacts our physiology these are all this is all information we should be getting yeah but we're not yeah and again it's because in academia this idea of lifestyle medicine as a clinical discipline has not reached medical education. And, and I think that it's really going to need um, more physicians acknowledging that, but I think the general public really pushing and, and, and saying that this is important and that this is what we want our physicians to be capable of. Um, and so this is why what you're doing in spreading this message to as many people as possible is so important. And I'm so grateful to you that, that you've taken it upon yourself to do this. Oh, thank you. I hope that people listen. I, I often wonder if it's just, it's just an echo chamber. Like there's just people who already know this message listening going, yeah, yeah, we're doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want like people's dads, you know, people's dads to be listening to this, like people's dads with prostate cancer and people's dads with, you know, a big beer belly and <laughs> that aren't exercising and they're at home watching the footy on the weekend and not exercising, you know, not exercising and drinking too much. I really wish that they would, but I guess that the title alone doesn't really attract the dads. <laughs> I need to write, <laughs> change the title to, you know, what your football team did on the weekend. <laughs> Trick them in, give them like a 10 minutes of football and then, by the way. <laughs> you know, when life when life gives you beer, you know, go be, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. You might have to change the title or something. I know. I, know. <laughs> I think, I, I think I, I think I might. So for yourself, when did you make the transition to a plant, a whole food plant base? Was that, was that a big shift for you? Well, it definitely was a shift, uh, compared to what I grew up culturally. I mean, uh, my background, my parents come uh, from a small island in the Caribbean called the Dominican Republic. So, Growing up in a Latino household, you know, your meals were like these huge heaping plates of like rice, beans with, with chicken and like cheese. And, and uh, there's a specific dish which, I, you know, just to mention it makes me cringe. Um, it, it's In Spanish, it's called the Tres Golpes. And it, it, it's, it's a typical traditional breakfast dish. And you're going to cringe here. Let me tell you. Go, tell me. So it starts with like four to five heaping slices of fried salami with fry, this fried white cheese with, that's topped with three fried eggs. And, the, <laughs> and that's on top of like this mountain of like plantains that's been mixed with like a cheddar cheese uh, and uh, melted cheddar cheese and fried onions. That's that is the Dominican breakfast for you. Holy cow! So like you're, it's a, it's a heart attack in a on a plate on a plate. But I am I imagine that pre going whole food plant based, you were thinking that was delicious. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and and I think most of our dietary habits, you know, we get from our families. You know, it, it's something cultural. Yeah, definitely. So how was making that shift from from sliced salami, fried eggs, cheese melted cheese in a in a plantain cheese goo? <laughs> that would have been difficult. So I mean, I think over adulthood, um, you know, I, I I was I always had this focus on sort of like nutrition and and health, and and once I turned eighteen and and I started living on my own, I, I started to make uh, changes in my diet. Um, and but I, I still wasn't whole food plant based. I, I actually did not become uh, whole food plant based until uh, I discovered the, the field of lifestyle medicine. Uh, and it and it was really and I had made gradual changes in that I, I didn't I didn't drink soda. I didn't eat processed foods. I did not eat fast food. 
but I, again, I was still eating the cheese, <laughs> having milkshakes, that sort of thing. Um, and again, it wasn't until uh, I discovered the field of lifestyle medicine. Uh, and I did it for myself. And I, because for me, it was, I can't ask a patient to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And, and, and so I, I decided to change my diet. And surprisingly, uh, I felt better. Yeah. You know, I wasn't as sluggish or as tired. I, I felt that I had more energy. I slimming down was a lot easier. I mean, I, I was always slim, but it was just a lot easier uh, for me to maintain. And and I, interestingly enough, I was with a. I worked with a physician farmer named Ron Weiss, and he had me do lab tests before and after. Uh, I went on a whole food plant-based diet and, um, what I noticed was that, uh, my LDL went to, I mean, it wasn't high, but it, it dropped a matter of 10 points. Um, and, 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 and sort of seeing the results for myself I, and seeing so many results with patients, I, I was convinced at that point. Wow. And how did your family feel when you drastically change your diet because i i think it like for in australia we have like very little culture so we're not really like we like junk food and you know processed foods and fat foods like you know like americans but but we don't have that i think that's when those when those foods are steeped in like this is what we've been eating for so many years as a culture as like a people I think it would be more difficult again in some ways to kind of say, kind of kind of appear to be rejecting this way of eating that your whole family and your so many relatives have been eating for so many years. Was it difficult or was people were people supportive in your family? I've always been a sort of uh, 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 like uh, the, the black sheep of the family <laughs> where, you know, uh, I like different, like I liked house music and American music. They liked the merengue. I, you know, <laughs> I like science. So, I, I, so for them, it was just me being weird me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Same. But to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, black sheep friend. <laughs> um, but, to, but to go back to uh, culture and sort of staying true to your culture while making these changes, uh, I think that there is a way um, to still sort of keep certain elements of your roots in, 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 in your dishes um, and still and still be plant-based. Um, but also, you know, society, as, a, as a society, we're always evolving and changing and growing. I mean, it, and the reality is that no matter where you're from, I, I think all of us are, are going to have to start to shift. You know, I mean, you can look a hundred years ago, uh, you know, women weren't allowed to, to vote. They weren't allowed to get an education and society evolved and moved past that because they realized that that is ludicrous. Not, not that, that cool guys. <laughs> you know, and, and similarly, we're going to have, we're going to have to do the same with food. Um, Yes, people have a personal relationship with food. Yes, there is history and tradition and a lot of things that are tied to food. Um, and I think that there's a way to maintain that and yet shift towards something that's healthier, not only for people, but for the planet and the environment. Yes, I think that's such a, a great point that you're making, because I think a lot of people and regardless of culture, we do think that. Well, we, you know, we've mentioned in, in this podcast a lot about how humans tend to fear change so much. And so we hold on to whatever we can control. And food is one of those things that we feel like we can control easier than the political structures or the, you know, oh, there's, there's so many things that we feel completely disempowered by. But food we can, you know, hold on to. And if it's salami and eggs and cheese, then we'll hold on to really tightly. <laughs> So I really liked what you're saying because I think a lot of people listening, you know, I have a friend who's very much, you know, she's Latino as well and she has such beautiful foods, but she does make those foods, like hers are from Colum Colombian foods and she makes them 
whole food plant based, but still with the essence of Colombian foods. And she makes them. It just, it's just, it's just the love at the end of the day, and some great flavors. You know, put some love and some spices and herbs, and you've got like, you know, in your own your own flavors from your culture, and you still got that essence of a dish. No, I think you're absolutely right. I, you know, there's a friend of mine, she's Mexican. Um, she made me these amazing and super delicious. Uh, jackfruit tacos, which I never had before. You know, she just substituted the chicken for jackfruit. And with the cilantro and the lime and the pepper, oh, it was delicious. And, you know, it was like eating a regular taco. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think there's a way to hold on to your culture, to hold on to your history and, and evolve and move our palate a little bit. I think we can do it. <laughs> I know? believe in us too. I believe yeah. in us. Yeah. Humans are pretty creative. I think we can do it. Yeah, yeah. I think we are. We've, we've, we've sent people to the moon. I'm sure we can just eat some jackfruit instead of some chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yes, wow. So when you go out and you're eating and you're in these, these situations as a doctor and you're working long shifts and stuff, like how do you manage food? Because I think a lot of people who are listening to this podcast and are thinking, oh, yeah, I agree. Like I do, I um, mean, the power of lifestyle, how our lifestyle impacts upon our overall health and chronic disease. But I don't know how I can do it because my job's hectic, things are busy, or I'm a doctor. Maybe there's a doctor listening and he's like, well, you know, I work really long shifts. I, it's crazy and the stress, and I have to have my cigarettes to keep going. <laughs> you know, h- how, what would a day look like? How do you manage to meal prep and do all the things to make sure that you have the stamina to maintain your job? You know, well, with that question, uh, you're bringing up two points. Uh, I think that environment plays a very large role. I think that, you know, to ask people say, hey, you have all the, it's, it's all because you don't have willpower and you don't want to change your lifestyle. Yeah, I think it's an unfair thing to ask of people when we create environments that are not conducive and don't make it easy for people to make those choices. You know, if, if you lay out, if you're on the table, as soon as you get to work, there's you're starving and there's donuts and there's coffee cakes and 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 there's cookies and, and chocolate and you're hungry people you know it's hard to say no I, I think for most people it's hard to say no uh, unless you have pretty strong will uh for me personally it it's it's easy to make these choices like if there's a, if i'm hungry i'll go to the vending machine but there's a pack of nuts in the vending machine I'll go for the nuts. Forget the potato chips, everything else. Um, similarly, in the cafeteria, uh, I'll just grab fruit. Like in the morning, I'm in a rush. I need something on the go. I'll grab fruit. Um, and it, it's really because I, I look at sort of um, my peers and 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 I can see why it's hard. I, I could see in that you know, you go and you're in a rush. The quickest thing is there's a Burger King right there. I'm just going to go to Burger King, you know, to take those extra steps to go around, to take the extra four minutes to go get the fruit. It's inconvenient. Right. And, um, so I think it's a combination. Uh, I think that people, you, on the one side, you can have a lot of willpower and it's all about making decisions. But I think on the mo- for the most part, we need to start to change our environment and we need to drive for changes in policy. And, and one of the things that I've been working on with my mentor is trying to get this Burger King out of this hospital. Our, so the hospital at my training institute. <laughs> I didn't realize it was Burger in your King. hospital. <laughs> has a Burger King. So literally we're giving you the food that puts you in our ICU. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, There's a McDonald's in our Royal Children's Hospital, and I, it's like a children's hospital. And they, you know, before you, after you get your needle or your cancer treatment or whatever, little boy, you can get a Happy Meal and you'll feel great. And I argued about it online once, and these parents are all saying, like, how horrible I was that I would deprive kids of one joy that they have when they're dying and sick. And I was like... But this thing keeps them dying and sick. Like, ah, it's just so hard. 
No, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, it's a, it, you wouldn't give a child a cigarette. You know, oh, they're dying, right? Get, you know, give that child a cigarette. If you, you, know, you wouldn't do that. So you've been you've been lobbying, trying to change policy at your school. How does that work? Because I know that they put so much money back into the hospitals. Those those things, which is why hospitals keep them. Is that not right? For the most part, uh, I'm, I'm trying to be careful. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> we can edit this part out. <laughs> um, no, but that that if if you look at a lot of contracts. There tends to usually be a very large kickback to that institution in the form of, of the amount that these companies pay uh, to, to to stay there, to, mm. to, to be in those spaces. Yes. You know? And and a lot of our institutions, especially in inner cities, they're they're functioning on a deficit. So. You know, you need every penny you can get. It's a really tricky situation, and I think. I think that it's one of the things about educating the people as well that you know if we don't want to pay we don't want to pay for we want free healthcare and we want cheap education and those things and we don't want to put tax dollars there and we're putting tax dollars you know thousands billions of dollars into other areas which like education and healthcare should be like the things that we're like putting our tax dollars into probably the most, if you ask me, like, I think that that's the most important thing is to have healthy people, but I don't know, you know, we're putting funding into private school education when people already pay huge amounts, the parents pay huge amounts, but then our governments are still paying huge amounts to private school education when the public school is suffering. And I think that's the same with public hospitals. You know, if we put more tax dollars into public hospitals, then perhaps we wouldn't need to have, McDonald's inside the Royal Children's Hospital. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right in that the our resources are they are not allocated appropriately. Um, and actually, I, I can't speak for Australia, but in the U.S., uh, our healthcare system is very wasteful. And uh, I think about. Every day, I, there's a patient, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the ICU and I see a patient that, that is there for three, three weeks and, and the amount of money in those three. And, and at the end of the day, what is it? It's a complication of a chronic disease that literally someone could have managed with lifestyle if they would have got to that patient maybe three or four years earlier. And the amount of spending. And if... We as physicians were to drive changes in our healthcare system where it made it, and we all did lifestyle medicine, those hundreds of thousands of dollars that these ICU visits are cost, we can actually save that money and we can actually use that money to reinvest into our education system, to our infrastructure, to agriculture, get it to places where it's really needed. At least that's the way I look at things. Yes, I think that's such a great way. And I think that the more people who, I think that the public have a role in this as well, because, you know, we're kind of apathetic about our healthcare until we're right at the crisis, at crisis point. So we don't really want to put our money anywhere until, you know, it's too, it's too late often a lot of the times for our, our things. And I think um, with chronic disease, I think that I didn't think about it at all until I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. You know what I mean? I think out of sight, out of mind for most people. They don't want to think about a hospital until they're in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's something that I, I've asked, I'm asking myself is that we as a society, are we willing to I, – I think we need to change structures and systems at the same time are we as individuals ready to do what's necessary uh, to make our healthcare system affordable? Uh, and are, as peop, as a society, are we willing to say, hey, you know, I, I look at it like this. Without question, everyone wakes up in the morning and knows, makes it, it without question, to shower and to brush their teeth. 
if people exercised, if, if exercise wasn't an extra thing that you added to your day or this thing that you kind of do, but it became something normalized to where it's just something we do and it's something, it's an acceptable cultural norm, you know, perhaps, you know, we would be a healthier society. Perhaps, you know, we wouldn't have the prevalence of chronic disease that we have. Um, but we sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Idolize this, this lifestyle, this excessive lifestyle where we glorify, you know, having the, uh, the, the shake with the brownie inside and towel <laughs> with ice cream and then we share it on Facebook and, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and this is what we do. Uh, and so, uh, so we as a society need to figure out what is the cost that we're, that, uh, that we're going to have to pay it to be healthier and to reduce the cost of our healthcare system. Um, because we're going to have to pay with something, whether it be time, energy, money, some, you have to give up something. Yes, it's so true. And people don't, people don't, like we said, people don't really want to give up anything. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I, I my choice was give up the feeling in my legs <laughs> or give up chocolate. And I was like, you know what? I reckon chocolate's worth giving up. <laughs> It's all right, but you want them to make. You know, we. I wish that you know my parents had no awareness of this, and I think that it's education in our schools, education teaching young people about nutrition and lifestyle medicine. You know, from kinder, you know, and they, and they are learning a bit more about education, and they're learning a bit about you know eating more plant foods. But there's such a room to move because they're still learning about you know, basically kind of a paleo style diet is, is the kind of teaching in, in schools in, in Australia anyway, like, you know, eating eggs and, you know, eating more, you know, chicken breasts and, you know, those types of things are still, are still in the, drinking dairy and all those kinds of things are still taught in the schools. And I think that kids need, because kids are smart, you know, like my son, he just, you know, he's always talking about the microbiome. <laughs> Not because he's smart, but because I'm always like, does that food feed the bad guys or the good guys? <laughs> that is fantastic. I love how you frame that. Because he likes thinking about bad guy six, you know, he loves thinking about, you know, bad guys and you draw the spooky monster bacteria or they're good guys. And like, who do you want to win this fight, baby? If you want to have a lollipop, sure. But you're giving the bacteria, the bad bacteria, exactly what they want. <laughs> 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 that is wonderful. I'm going to use that with our kids here. Thank you for that little tip. I'm going to put that in my pocket. Uh, you just make them like super baddie, you know, good, good fighting guys that are helping you be super strong or warrior ninjas or whatever the kids like, you know, like my son likes ninjas, you know, and the bad guys, I just imagine them as, you know, villainous things trying to fight the ninjas and he's... He he wants to eat their broccoli to, to, to tell, give the bad guys what they don't want. <laughs> give some backup to the good guys so they can fight the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I think, you know, like he gets it because he just, it's, it's simple. You don't have to tell him the whole thing, but, you know, he gets it. And like he still eats, though, you know, he's still, it's still six and it's still, it's everywhere, the marketing and the advertising. And we went to the hairdresser and she offered them lollipops and, you know, saying no when like you're handing them to them and your kid's like, oh, I want them. <laughs> it's, it can be really tricky. Like you're constantly, you're constantly put in this like, I'm a mean, I look like a bad guy. I look like the bad guy because I'm denying you this thing that society's saying is amazing. It can be very, very tricky as a parent to navigate that world. It is very difficult uh, as a parent to navigate the world, but I really like the point that you made in that we can start introducing these concepts to young people and young, young people, they're, you know, these kids, they're brilliant. They're amazing. And every generation, they, they go farther and further than the generation before them. And so if we start to reinforce these concepts now, you know, they'll learn them, they'll take them into adulthood and they can, they'll really be able to transform uh, our world and our society. But I think you're right in that, we need to change the environment. 
You know, because what if that hairdresser said, here are these delicious blackberries that I just picked or I just got. Right. You know, um, that would be incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And that's those are the treats. And so we need to work work on on changing our environment social norms yeah exactly i was in the doctor's waiting room the other day just on on this topic and i was sitting there listening because i was getting um an eye blood test in the staff like the receptionists and the doctors were walking in to get their files and they were all talking about did you have dara lee chocolates in america is that like an australian it might be an australian chocolate brand they went bankrupt (laughs) but um they used to exist and they made Rocky Road and licorice, chocolate licorice colored stuff and hard boiled lollies and all this type of stuff that you used to give your dads for Father's Day. It was like a very much targeted at fathers. Um, and they were all talking about them and they were all saying how they, you can get them now at like some chemists. You can sell them at the pharmacy where they have the chocolates and they're generally still. And they were all talking about how great they are and how, oh, and I love them too. What do you love? I get this still. I get this for my kid. And I'm like, why are you all talking in the waiting room with all the doctors and the staff all talking about this food that's so bad for everyone? And just so loudly and glorifying it like it's the most, the pinnacle of treats is this chocolate junk food processed shit full of sugar. I was just sitting there and I, but you're, you're, you know, you're, you're so right that they, I was thinking about, excuse me, guys, do you know about a whole food plant-based diet? <laughs> and they're like, get out, please. But I was just, you know, uh, it's, it's, I can't wait to sitting in a waiting room where they're just like, you know what I had the other day? I made these like a real real life story. I made these wraps out of red lentils. You just soak them and then you rinse them and add the water back and you blend them and they make tortilla like wraps. You just cook them in the flat. Wow. I- and they're good. They're not like, you know, they're not like the sad things that you're like, this is going to be one of those recipes where I'm going to do it and it's going to be gross. <laughs> <laughs> and I put like chickpeas inside, like it's spiced and baked in the oven with some rocket and some guacamole or some whatever. And it was like amazing. And it's just lentils and that's it. You're going to have to send me that. I, I actually put some turmeric and some cumin and some sea salt, but otherwise it was, I will send you the recipe. They are like so good. Yes. That sounds, del- you need to send that to me. That sounds delicious. Please send it I to wish me. that they were talking about that in the white doctor's waiting room instead of lollies and chocolates and. You know, it's funny. I, I, I told my mentor uh, this analogy the other day in that. You would never go, you would never take uh, your money and give it to a financial planner who's in debt or bankrupt to invest your money. I mean, who, who would do that, right? But medicine seems to be the only field where we entrust our health, our well-being um, to a profession that has no concept of nutrition or of exercise and yet it's okay. Um, I, I don't know. I, that doesn't make sense to me. It just, it, it's fundamentally flawed and, and we need, and we need to change it. It is changing. It is changing. Like I thought there would be like one doctor on this show and more and more doctors are coming out of the woodwork and they are taking on this way of eating and on, and on the whole mind, body, spirit kind of, you know, exercise, stress management. And I think each episode, more doctors are talking about the mental health, the sleep, the sleep portion of disease. And yes, yes, sleep plays a very large role. And and many Americans, at least here in America, have, we have very poor, poor sleep hygiene. And it's really playing a role in chronic disease. Uh, but the amazing thing that I've noticed uh, and what I find really incredible is that more and more physicians are, are coming and speaking to this. And particularly amongst older physicians, what I notice is it happens to physicians when they become sick and they realize that the system that they have been working in and perpetuating has failed them. 
And then they go and say, there has to be another way. And then they, then, then they change their lifestyles and they find out that this works. And then they, they become the largest advocates. I mean, every, there's been so many, uh, physicians, uh, sort of in their forties and fifties that have changed their career path. And it's usually because they became sick themselves. (laughs) I'm satisfied. Uh, um, and even within my generation, there was a girl who in my class, she was actually on my executive board in the lifestyle medicine interest group. And, and she, you know, she told me, she was like, you know, I, I, I believed that there was a connection, you know, between lifestyle, like, you know, I did, but it wasn't until I, she became sick last year with an autoimmune condition. And she told me, she was like, it wasn't until I got sick and, you know, I had to go through this process of navigating our, our healthcare system and with, and I couldn't get the right answers and I wasn't feeling well and I was doing everything that my doctors told me um, and I just wasn't feeling well and I started to look for myself and it wasn't until I changed my lifestyle and I started to feel better. Like now I know what you were talking about. Now I get it. And and, you know, unfortunately, uh, that's what it took for a lot of physicians. But my hope is that, you know, it, but many young physicians are understanding this. They're getting it. And I think a lot of older physicians are getting it, too. And things are changing. It's a ripple effect. It's a ripple effect. And I think that that is happening now. That The more they see these young doctors or even the you know just being fit and healthy and being healthy into an older age you know like working like dr esselstyn you know working working for a longer time spreading the word and being like dr clapper dr campbell you know they're all getting into the you know they're they're aging better you know they're aging well they're aging with vibrancy and able to still help and work and do stuff into an older age and I think that 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 leaves an impression you know what I mean that leaves an impression on your peers when you're doing so well and you're thriving and they're like what how what's the difference between you and me and you're like hey man a whole food plant-based diet and some sleep and some exercise (laughs) (laughs) right who could have thought that the answer was so simple Uh, I'm so glad you brought up that point because we have to reframe the way we look at aging for some reason. I think the public around the world has been sold on this idea that aging is associated with disease becoming just this decrepit thing. That's just going to die and wither. And, and it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. You can be 80 with a life full of vitality, walking, doing all the things that you enjoy doing. You know, maybe a little bit slower, (laughs) (laughs) but still, you know, if you love to dance, you can still dance. If you like to practice yoga, you can still practice yoga. You know, you like going out, going for a walk, going to your friend's house to play cards. You can do that. You don't have to be bound to a wheelchair with an oxygen mask, you know, walking with a walker. You know, it doesn't have to be that I way. love that you're saying this because I think, and I was listening to a mentor of mine a couple of years ago, and he was talking about how, you know, we we all kind of think that we get to 60 and then you're an old person, you know. <laughs> but, the, but, but, but Western medicine, even though it's not very good at managing chronic disease at the moment, it still keeps us alive for a really long time in these broken, sick bodies that we've created. So we can live for like 40 years, just really awful, you know, like aches and pains and constipated, depressed, but you're, you're alive. You can see your grandkids from your chair, but you're, you're not enjoying life. And you might not enjoy my, my grandmother. She didn't enjoy her life from 70 for 33 years longer, you know, they kept her alive. She was alive, but she had Alzheimer's. She couldn't walk very far. She lived in a chair and every morning she'd wake up and she'd say, you know, every morning I go to sleep and then I, went out, and then I wake up and I'm like, why am I still here? <laughs> That's what she would say. And I was like, Nana, because you're only 70 something, you know, like 
cool it with the death wish, but like she wanted to be because she was in this horribly unwell body, you know. And I don't want that. I want to live in a great vital body. And so why would you, you know, prepare, plan early like a savings account? Uh, That's right. So that when you get to 60, you're not wishing that you don't wake up in the morning like my Nana. (laughs) (laughs) That is such a great point. And, you know, our, our healthcare system does do that. We'll keep you alive. That we will do. Trust me, we will not let you bite the dust. <laughs> We're very good at that. Whether you'll enjoy it and it's and, and you'll have quality of life, that's a different story. Um, and and that's what lifestyle medicine is about. It's about adding life to years. It's about making sure people are not only alive but have quality of life. That is such a great point to kind of wrap up our conversation on because like you know I I had never really heard of lifestyle medicine until two years ago I didn't know it existed but this is this is the future this is the way forward and I love talking to people like yourself who are doing such great work in spreading this message and doing your walk with the doc groups and all of your teachings and plant-based culinary cooking classes and those types of things these are the way forward for people and it's just such a worthy cause and it's going to change the world i hope for so many people that are going to have a better quality of life than you know i don't want anyone else to grow up like i did eating absolute rubbish not exercising and then get to 28 unable to feel my legs like your 20s my 20s were in the bin like they were in the bin I didn't enjoy them I was in bed in pain and suffering and I want a world you know I hope that there's a world for my children where 70% of the population aren't obese where the obese people are the the rare rarities in society and everywhere we look we're like that's because you know people now if I when I lose when I lost weight initially people would say to me oh don't get too skinny (laughs) It's just, it's just such a foreign thing for thin, healthy people in society to not to exist, you know. And don't get too skinny. Like, I'm still clinically overweight, mom. You know, like it's okay. I'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. So I think that what you're doing is normalizing it. And even though we're at the baby infant stage of this movement, you know, doctors like yourself who are out there who are spreading the message in your in your medical schools and in your community, like it's just such a I'm so grateful. So thank you so much for existing and for coming on the show and for helping spread this message. Oh well, you know, thank you for having me and thank you for taking this message and taking it to an even broader and wider audience. And it's people like you that I think working with us, we're going to change the world together. And I'm really appreciative of you for that. Oh, thank you so much. So what are your three, before we hang up, what are your three biggest tips for listeners who are thinking, oh, you know, I get what he's saying. You know, a lifestyle plays such a 80% of the role in getting a chronic disease and then ending up in the ICU as a result of complications from that chronic disease, like I don't want to end up in an ICU. I don't want to end up with a chronic disease. What can I do beforehand or if I have a chronic disease and I'm listening to help me take the first steps that aren't too overwhelming so I can just take three steps today that are easy, manageable and doable? So three steps. I I would say the very first step is find someone that believes in you and that is going to, going to be your cheerleader through this process. You know, humans, we are social animals. Uh, we belong in tribes. This is something that's very difficult to do alone. Find that person who's going to be your rock and, you know, have them there for the journey. I would say that's the first thing. Uh, I The second thing I would say is, hey, you're trying to exercise we make exercise seem like this boring, you know, difficult thing. Find something that you enjoy. If you love dancing, go dance. If you love, you know, going for a walk and looking at ducks, go for a walk and look at ducks. You know, you like, you know, playing pickleball with friends. Find something that you enjoy and, and just do that. 
as a first step. You know, you don't have to go run a marathon or do a triathlon. You know, do do a physical activity you enjoy. Um, and the third, I guess, would be diet related. You know, you you don't have to go cold turkey. And ha ha ha, and just drastically change your diet. Uh, I would say find two items, two things that maybe you can change in your diet. Say, you know, if you like eating potato chips, say, you know what, I am not going to eat potato chips, or I am going to substitute potato chips for grapes or some other food, plant based food that you enjoy. Uh, and make one other change, you know, say, you know, in the morning, instead of having my usual bacon, egg and cheese sandwich, I'm going to try to substitute that for oatmeal or a black bean and I don't know, curry sandwich. I don't know, whatever, whatever sort of drives you or, or, or works for you, um, Again, change is, in, is incremental. Um, start with small steps. That that would be my three points. They are great three points and super doable. I love getting a person like my husband was that for me. You know, he believed in me and he just supported me along the way on my journey. And I, I don't know if I could have done it without him. Like you say, like it was he was just his family and him was so just so important to me. Um, something that you enjoy, like it's. I agree. When I first, when you hear about exercise, you think it has to be the grueling type that you're going to be like, oh gosh, I'm lifting weights and doing a cardio workout straight away and running a marathon. But yeah, yoga, like I just started doing, I started just walking and then I went on to running because I just thought may as well. And then I loved running and then it went on to other stuff and it was just from there playing around with rock climbing and other things just to see because once you get more energy you're like what else can my body do I didn't know it could do before and it's just exciting to test it out (laughs) and the take doing the two things I think that a lot of people I know people who I work with and people who I they're just like oh going whole food plant-based is just like I still want these chocolates and this thing and you're like just 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 baby steps you know I went numb from the waist down so you know I had a rapid But if you're not numb from the waist down, then, you know, you just want to take it slow and just do a couple things at a time. Or like like you said about adding stuff in, I think adding stuff in is such a more palatable way of approaching it, you know. Instead of my chips, I'm just going to have some really good grapes that I bought today or a mango or, you know. Yeah, make something that you, that you think is good and, you know, anyway – not a punishment and just add it in and you, maybe you won't you'll be too full after that to eat the crappy thing that you know is not good for you yeah I, I love how you put that exactly yeah oh thank you so much Saul for coming on the show I know I've already said thanks so my husband always says that I'm like with my guests I get like no I love you more no I love you more no you hang up <laughs> he, he edits it so he's always like how many thank yous do you need to say I'm like well I'm just really grateful <laughs> <laughs> but I am really grateful. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much, Saul. Thank you all for listening. I am so grateful for all of your continued support. And thank you to everyone who's already left a five-star rating and a kind review over at iTunes and Stitcher because your ratings and reviews really help this podcast to reach more people and spread these messages of hope with more people who may need to hear that there is hope. So thank you very much. If you haven't already followed the Facebook page, When Life Gives You Lemons Go Vegan, you can do that, do that over at Facebook. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, I put out new episodes every Sunday slash Monday over at iTunes and Stitcher app. And I'm currently in the process of trickling out new episodes over to YouTube. This can reach more people and spread. And thank you to everyone who's already left a five-star rating and a kind. Thanks so much, Saul. Thank you all for listening. I am so grateful for all of your continued support to reach more people or you can comment on them, whatever. That would be great. I'll reply to your comments. And I'm so grateful for your support over there at YouTube as I add all of these amazing stories across there. Thank you so much all for listening. And I will see you all next week when I share an amazing story with Richard 
Hubbard. And Richard, his story is the first real story that I've shared about someone losing a whole heap of weight after adopting a low-fat whole food plant-based diet. I think a lot of people are very scared about eating this way, a diet high in carbohydrates because they're frightened that they'll gain weight. And so Richard is just one of many people proving that theory wrong, proving that if you eat a diet rich in whole plant foods, that you will lose weight, less low in fat, that you will lose weight and sustainably and healthily that you can keep off permanently. So his story is so, so, so inspiring to anyone who has had issues with being overweight, obese, or struggling to lose weight and keep it off. So I'll see you all next week for that. Bye.